On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, the president of the CBC the other day had a really interesting comment about how Netflix and other American cultural giants are coming in to swallow up Canadian content, Canadian culture. She's missing something in her comment. She's missing the irony of what she's saying. We're going to discuss that. Also, Don Robertson of the Dundas Real McCoys is in here as he is once every week. we got all kinds of stuff to talk about from the Super Bowl to the Leafs to the Blue Jays to the Raptors to tickets to salaries in baseball. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. This is a dominant discussion of our time. Fake news. What is real? What can be trusted? What can't be trusted? How do you know what is something that you can rely on? Well, let me give you one. This is my opinion. You can agree. You can disagree. But my, my belief that one of the ways that you can start to get a handle on probably more often than not what is real news, what is accurate, is by the closer you get to the source the better the chances are that you're going to get something that is accurate. The closer you get to the source of that news is the better chance you're going to get something that's accurate. So, while you may always have exceptions to this, and I'm not going to argue that the media is perfect, generally, if you were to have radio stations, TV stations, newspapers in smaller communities, the chances are that those people covering those smaller communities are going to have a better chance at covering the news, giving you the real story. And then with that and with with national stuff, you can put together a full picture. The reason I bring this up is very simple because there was a speech that was made by the head of the CBC, the president of the CBC. Her name is Catherine Tate. She was speaking Last week, and she was talking about Netflix. Now, you'll, let me bring the connection together here. She was speaking of Netflix and what she said, and it was a long speech. I'm not going to read you the whole thing, obviously. Uh, she says, it's pro- this is now, right now, the probably the most exciting time in terms of screened entertainment. Fair enough. All right, lots of choices. You can go on Crave, Netflix, CTV has a thing now. You can download an app. Uh, CBC has one. You can do all these kind of things. But here is the rest of, the, of, of a quote. What happens after imperialism and the damage that can, do, that can be done to local communities? Sorry. Let us be, here's what her quote. Let us be mindful of how it is as Canadians we respond to global companies coming into our country. What she's talking about is this Netflix monster is a giant media conglomerate that is looking to eat up all the smaller fishes in the pond. This is a giant whale that is coming across the border and it's going to gobble everything up. It's going to gobble up the CBC, I guess, is her concern. But let me tell you something about this. And this is a thing that has driven me nuts for ages. What Catherine Tate is missing here is that, yes, while Netflix and the American culture is a massive whale that could potentially eat up Canadian culture, I guess, She's missing the fact that her company, CBC, is doing the exact same thing to every smaller media place in this country. Every private sector media outlet in this country is dealing with 
the same problem, only it's the CBC that is causing those problems. Let me tell you, the CBC gets almost something around a billion dollars a year from you as a taxpayer. Newspapers don't. Radio stations don't. CHML certainly doesn't. CHCH TV doesn't. They are having to compete with this. And so what are they doing now to try and compete? Because, you know, you have to, whether we like it or not, this is still a world where people have to earn a living and hopefully companies can make some kind of profit. That's how things work. So how do you do that? Well, they have to charge for it. News has to be paid for. News, despite what some people think, news, collecting news is not free. You have to hire people to do it. The CHCH, CHML newsroom right here has a number of people who are paid. Ken Mann and Ted Michaels and Laura Hampshire and all of them, they are paid to do their job. And so sometimes now newspapers and others have to charge for this. CBC, however, doesn't. So you've now got newspapers, the Toronto Star, the Globe and Mail, the National Post, the Hamilton Spectator. Others have to put up a paywall because they somehow are going to have to be able to raise funds. They have to be able to pay their staff. They have to be able to make this thing work. And yet the CBC doesn't have those same obligations because they're handed a billion dollars by the taxpayers. And so when someone goes to any of these private sector media outlets, and they look and they go, I got to pay for this. No thanks. Oh, I've got the free option. Not really free. It's a billion dollars out of your taxes, but I've got the free option. It's the CBC. I'll just go there. And the CBC doesn't, by the way, just do the few radio shows in the national, right? They have websites now that are doing written news and opinion, doing all the things that newspapers have been doing. And yet the CBC now wants to get into that territory. It wants to get into that niche so that it can be even burrowing more. So we have in this country now, in this sector, I think probably the only sector of our economy where a government, where the public sector, where the government is directly competing with the private sector, where the government, if it does well, if its public company succeeds at what it's doing, it will eventually eat up and destroy and wear down the private sector businesses. Does this make sense to anybody? I mean, you can like the CBC, but the ultimate success story, if things go really well for the folks at CBC, would be that eventually they get enough share, viewer share, listener share, reader share, that other companies don't exist anymore. They gather up the advertising dollars. They make it impossible for the private sector media outlets to operate. And they eventually fold and the CBC is left standing. Does this make any sense to anybody? What Catherine Tate said is so bought missing the black kettle that it drives me nuts. Let me give you an example about this because this is something that has, as I say, just driven me nuts. When, and, and then to have the head of CBC come out and make this comment so blind to what is happening. So you have these private sector media companies, these all the TV stations, all the radio stations, all the newspapers that have existed for a long time that are trying to make a go of it still. And as I say, they have to, they don't have a billion dollars in government money at their disposal to pay all this stuff. So the other places have to actually charge for stuff. So imagine now you live in a little town and you own an oil change garage. 
we know about these places, Jiffy Lube or whatever these. So you own a little place and if someone drives in, they can get their oil changed in 30 minutes and you have a person doing it and it maybe costs, I don't know what it costs, 35 bucks and you get a half hour and you're in and out and you have your oil changed by a person. Well, now next door, the government sets up government lube and you drive in and there is a staff of 25 people to work on your car. You are guaranteed to be out in five minutes and it costs you at the door nothing. Now there's some money taken off your taxes, but it costs you nothing. Which one are you going to go to? I know the answer to that. Unless you are best friends or family with the owner of the other place, you're going to go to the one where you don't have to pay and you're out in five minutes because there's 25 people. That is the CBC right now to the private sector. You want proof of that? I'll give you proof of that. I was looking the other day, trying to find out, there's a show on CBC called Q. It's a radio show. It used to be the one Gian Gomeshi was on until he ran into his problems. And I went to find out because in the morning, I don't know if you know this, Bill Kelly, who is fantastic, is one of the best in the business. I don't care where you go, public, private, whatever. Bill Kelly's staff is Bill and Liz Russell, who is his content producer, who gets, he gets her for half a day because she also works on Scott Thompson's show. And then there's an operator who does the show. So you basically have the equivalent of two staff people on Bill's show and they do an amazing job. Same with Scott Thompson's show. On Q, which is your public dollars that Bill and Scott are competing against for the same audience, for the same revenues, for the same advertising dollars. You have a host. I'm scrolling through the list here of their website. You have a host. You have the executive producer, a senior producer, another senior producer, a director producer, an AP technician, a writer, a digital producer, uh, another producer, 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 and another producer. That's their staff. And that's not even the TV side of things. That's just for the radio. And if you want to go beyond that, listen to this. This was from a 2016 story from a Fraser Institute report about the CBC. The average, this is 2016. So three years ago, the average salary at the broadcaster, the average salary at the, at the CBC is $100,528. That's the average salary. I can assure you that is not the average salary in private sector media. I can assure you of that. And yet that is who the government wants us to compete against, wants the private sector media outlets to compete against. And that's who Catherine Tate doesn't see that she is gobbling up while she's concerned that Netflix is going to gobble her up. She is doing that. Her company is doing that exact same thing to all the local papers, to all the local radio stations, to all the local TV stations. You wonder why people in this business and others who actually understand think this is crazy when you're worried about local media going away and now we're only going to have big conglomerates. This is part of the reason why. Let me tell you something. The CBC's mandate, as they outline it, is that they should be telling the stories of Canadians that don't get told, right? You've heard that before. That is their mandate. Well, let me tell you something. If that's the case, they do not need a massive headquarters in downtown Toronto on maybe the priciest piece of land in Toronto with thousands of people working there. They don't need a giant office in Vancouver. They don't need one in Montreal. There are legacy media outlets, lots of them there who are covering the stories there. Lots of them. 
They don't need those head offices. They don't need those massive staffs. What they should be doing, if you really want to have a CBC that is fulfilling its mandate, break up all those offices into four people bureaus and send them to Killaloo, Ontario and Swags Hollow, Nebraska, you know, Alberta and Rascal Flats, Manitoba and all these other places. Send them to these little communities and file stuff there of the people who don't really get covered. That would be, that would be now something where the CBC could fulfill its mandate. Because as it stands right now, listening to Catherine Tate talk about this, worried that her company, that CBC in Canada is going to be gobbled up by Netflix and American invaders of culture. She should be concerned. She, she, she has a right to be concerned. The problem is she's being concerned by the wrong thing. She should be concerned about Canadian culture being swallowed up by her. That's who's swallowing up most of Canadian culture and most of the Canadian media. It's not the Americans that are running all the media in Canada out of business. It's the CBC and the billion dollars that goes to it that creates an unfair playing field. Period. End of story. Back after this. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don Robertson. Don is the, he's here every Monday. He's the owner, operator, whatever other words you want to use of the Dundas Real McCoy senior hockey team. He is the guy who runs Calm Choice Realty. You see the signs around. I don't know what else he does, but he does other stuff as well. And he comes in here, as I say, every Monday at seven o'clock. Thanks for doing this. Oh, you're welcome. It's, uh, sometimes it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Mostly we, for me. We'll, we'll wait with bated breath to see if we live up to that lofty <laughs> goal tonight. Now, uh, did you watch the game yesterday? Did you stay awake to watch the game yesterday? I saw almost all of it. And finally, after two hours of three, nothing, and then six, three, I went, I'm going to watch a hockey game. So there's more scoring. That's true. That is true. <clears throat> you know, it was, uh, all the pregame. Um, chatter, which I... For the 72-hour lead-in? I jumped in a couple times from noon till whenever, 6.30, and newsprint, all it talked about. And I thought it'd be a fun game to watch. Should have been. That you got two of the most explosive offensive teams, two of the weakest defensive teams, and um, so much for the experts, again. I, well, I, I still don't know, and I... I I give some credit. I give a lot of credit, in fact, to the defenses. I don't think it was just that the offenses were horrible, although they were, but I think there was a reason why they were horrible. I think for Los Angeles, a big part of it was their quarterback looked like he was scared out of his mind and had no ability to play this particular game. Down the road, maybe, but he looked like he had no ability to play this game under those bright lights. He looked not sharp. He looked like a guy who was scared to be there, quite honestly. Looked like he was a young guy in his first Super Bowl. That's exactly what he looked like. And and for Brady, I think Los Angeles' defense gets some credit because I don't think Tom Brady was scared to be there. Wade Phillips, um, the old Buffalo Bills coach and bum's boy. Yep. Um, you got to give him a lot of credit to shut down New England to 13 points and then a Super Bowl. So here's the thing. We hear all the time, doesn't matter what sport, hockey, football, baseball, basketball, defense wins championships. And I don't know if this game proves that, and the reason I say I don't know if this game proves that is because both teams' defense played really well, and Los Angeles didn't win a championship. So defense with enough offense maybe is the statement, or it should be the statement. Defense wins championships, though, is the statement, is the saying that we always hear. Would you rather, 
if you were a fan of a team, would you rather win and be boring as all get out or lose, but be the most exciting team out there? Win. Really? Sure. All through the year. If you're, if you had to watch your team, Toronto Maple Leafs are playing tonight. If they won every game of the year, but every game was one, nothing in a shootout. You'd be okay with that, as if, opposed to if you're a connoisseur of the sport and can can appreciate the intricacies of the game and understand that it can be exciting to watch good defense. Then you, especially with your team, you could sure learn to love it, as long as you're winning. See, I I I I was thinking the same thing. I thought, you know, again, pick your pick your team. If the if the Blue Jays three years ago, 2015, when they went and made all those trades. You want them to win. If you're a fan, and most people around here were a fan, you want them to win. But they were winning games like 10 to 3, 10 to 2. They were just hitting the snot out of the ball. If they had won every game 1 to nothing on a sack bunt in the 8th inning, would we think so fondly of them? And And even if they won a World Series and they did it that way, people would be happy that they did it. But I don't know that they would be loved or even appreciated. I think winning trumps everything. I really do. I think if... If your baseball team's in first place and that's how you do it, or your hockey team or anything else, I mean, that's where you, th- th- that's what it's all about. That's why they keep scores because they want to keep track of the guy that gets more goals, points than the other guy, and it doesn't really say how you have to go about doing that. So, in in team sports, um, the real good teams, and wasn't quite evident yesterday. So, but in general. If you play really well defensively, especially especially in hockey, a sport I'm far more familiar with, if you can go out and play really well defensively and capitalize on the very few chances you get, you'll win the game. New Jersey under the Jacques Lemaire years. Yeah, sure. Where they, I mean, Marty uh, Brodeur is in the Hall of Fame, A, because he was a good goalie, but B, because he was playing in a system that really reduced the number of chances that he had to face for a lot of yeah. years. Ken Hitchcock has had similar success saying, if you pay attention to your own details in your own end, there's a good chance we're going to win because the other team's going to make mistakes. Now, you have to capitalize on them, so you've got to have some skill. You can't just have a bunch of uh, um, slugs out there. It's the same in football, right? You can't just have a great big offensive or defensive line and and uh, just hope you get the ball back. You've got to, got to force the quarterback through defense to make mistakes and then you have to capitalize on those mistakes, and that will be the difference between winning and losing um, nine times out of ten um, with a margin of uh, correctness, the one to four percent. I thought that I would agree with you. I did. I thought that I would agree that winning would trump everything. And, you know, you want to win. If you're, got a, if you're a fan of a team, you want to win. Obviously, you want to win. And then I thought, yeah, but okay, so... Let's say you're the let's say you're the Patriots and you've won this game now. You've got a, a parade. I think the parade is tomorrow. Yeah. And then maybe you have one more day of feeling good. You've got like four days of really enjoying it. And then you get on. You know, Boston's got the Celtics that are playing. They got the Bruins that are playing. You've got the Red Sox getting ready for spring training. It's kind of you're talking about a few days of real celebration, as opposed to if I've got a team that. Eh, they win half, they lose half, but boy, those games are wild. And they score a bunch and they give up a bunch and it's just, that's a whole year of excitement. I, I, I almost got, I, I'm almost at the point where I say I would rather have the team that is just unbelievably exciting all year in every game they play 
than to have that one or two or three days of super excitement. Well, you're you're referencing a city that's had a lot of success. I mean, between the Patriots and the Bruins have won Stanley Cup. Unfair success. Not long, long ago. The Celt- Celtics were a juggernaut for a long time. They're good again this year. The, the Bo Sox are uh, always in the mix. So it's kind of an interesting city to pick. I think if Seattle had won the Super Bowl 13-3, to uh, you'd dine out on it a lot longer than you will in Boston. Well, and, and, and there's th- also an expectation. And you know, you know a good way to judge this, Scott, uh, if, if the fans are as appreciative of the 13-3 to win, which uh, many pundits believe was a snooze fest, let's take a look at the crowds tomorrow at the parade. Mm-hmm. If the crowd is half half what it u- usually is because they win enough of them, you go, I guess we're a little disappointed on how they won. I suggest it'll be a full house. Yeah, and, and, and when the Cubs won, if the Cubs had ended their streak by winning every game one nothing, as I described, with a sack bunt, probably I, I'm not thinking that people are going, oh, I'm not going to support this. And if the Leafs win a Stanley Cup by doing that, I don't think people are going to turn up their noses at it. So you're right. It is a Boston thing. I, a brother, I have a brother-in-law who is a, he comes from that part of the world and is a Red Sox and a Patriots fan. And I was texting him last night saying, don't ever complain about anything in sports. Don't ever. That there is just, you have no right to complain about anything for the balance of your life. You've had two Bruin Stanley Cups in the last number of years, three or four Red Sox World Series wins since the turn of the century. Um... Six Patriots wins. The Celtics won a championship and are perennially a good team. We grew up around here. <laughs> we live around here where... The home of hockey. Where TFC is the big champion. And the Argos. <laughs> that's the that's the closest. I mean, the, the Bulldogs have won a couple times, but I mean, they're on... It's a different level. I understand yeah. that. When you're talking about major sports... There hasn't been one of the of the of the four major sports. We don't have an NFL team up here, but if you want to count the Buffalo Bills as the closest thing to a yeah. home team, boy, it's uh, it's three losers, four, and four, it's not sorry. just. And the thing is, it's not like it's not like the teams in this area over the years have just lost. Don, I mean, they've they have generally found the most painful ways to lose. You go back to the Carrie Fraser high stick on Gilmore by Gretzky non-call. Uh, you have the, the Blue Jays losing in, you know, in Kansas City or David Price when he was pitching in that one bloop hit that opens the floodgates and the Blue Jays lose. Or you have the Raptors with LeBron James hitting a full court running off balance bank shot from the wing. I mean, you just, you can't find more painful ways. You, you, the, the, even TFC, the year before they won the championship, then they, when they didn't give give up a single shot on net to Seattle, yeah. and then they lose in penalty kicks. Yeah. If any, if any group of people now, see, you mentioned Seattle. Seattle won a championship. They won the Super Bowl. I don't think that there is another fan base area that comes anywhere close to equaling what Southern Ontario has suffered through. I don't think there's any. And if you want to say that a couple Argo Grey Cups and a TFC win have, I don't think that does it. salved that wound. I don't think so. Well, the, the Argos traditionally can't draw enough people to have a game of bridge, so 
Nobody and then they win about every three years, and yeah. everyone says, "Oh, this will turn them around the corner. This will make the turn the corner." And no, that never happens. But I mean, no, it's it's is. Can you think of another fan base, another area, another geographic area that has suffered like this? I can't. Not with all the major sports outside of the NFL, but we've got three of them. And right? as I say, if you include Buffalo <clears throat> as as part of our area, not everyone's a Buffalo Bills fan. But back at that time, there were a lot of Bills fans yeah. in this area back when they were really good. No, our teams have uh, have. Uh, not done well. I <laughs> guess I guess sucked is a better word. Well, and you know, you put the game seven loss to Boston to the Bruins a well, few years ago in that I, category. You know, and you bring up the Kerry Frazier non-call and Leaf fans dine out on that. They one do. They, they love that chance. one. But it's, it's it, I mean, that non-call is talked about as if it cost the Toronto Maple Leafs a Stanley Cup. They still would have had to play the Montreal Canadiens. That's true. That's but true. it all hangs on Kerry Frazier's non-call. Now, getting rid of the best player to ever play the game would have been an advantage, but the Montreal Canadiens may have had something to say about it. And the history I've got with Toronto and Montreal is not good for Toronto. Uh, that's true. That's true. Although... As a kid, they used to beat the Leafs like a rented mule in the playoffs all the time. Uh, it, yeah, although we will never know. And so you can cling to the Carey Fraser. If you're a Leaf fan, you can cling to that Carey Fraser and say this would have been different. But don't you agree? Like it's, oh, yeah. it's almost like Carey Fraser cost us a Stanley Cup. And he and the argument, well, the truth is he might have, but it's not the same non-call as with the New Orleans Saints where it legitimately cost them a spot in the Super Bowl. Yeah. That, that call legitimately, and did you see what happened in New Orleans yesterday? No. Thousands. I heard they weren't going to watch the game. Well, thousands of people. There's video of it. I mean, I'm guessing 25,000, but I could be off. But thousands and thousands of people marched in New Orleans to protest the NFL and the Super Bowl. And the front page of the Times-Picayune, the New Orleans newspaper today, was just a blank white page that said, Super Bowl, what Super Bowl? That was the that was the front page of the That's paper. That's pretty ballsy. That's cool. Uh, that was pretty funny, I thought. But yeah, I... I don't think that you know if you're if you're from Boston or you cheer. I'm mean, Bill Kelly is a big Boston yeah. fan. I have no. I, I one of these days. I don't know. He's probably said it on the air once or ten times about why he became a Bruins fan and a probably Red a Sox. Bobby Orr fan. I think he's just a bandwagon jumper, quite honestly. But well, good. <laughs> a pretty good wagon to be on. No, he was a Bobby Orr fan. I don't. I don't know if that led to all the other Boston fandom things or what, but I mean, he, he put it this way, Bill, I, I'm joking with, cause he was a fan before they became good, but boy, talk about a good city to have latched yourself onto yeah. at the beginning of this, uh, of this rise, because, uh, anyone who's a fan of anybody, Boston has no right to complain about anything in their life ever again. I agree. Your entire family could be felled by botulism. And you can't complain because you've had all these championships. All these championships. That you know, that's you're just going to have to deal with it because you had that. Well, they they can certainly giggle at us, can't they? As can almost every other city in North America. Who is going to win? Since we're here, since we are in this area, and since we're talking about this, who will be the first Southern Ontario team? It's okay. You can take that. Uh, who will be the first Southern Ontario team in this region to win a championship? Will it be the Leafs, who are now competitive? Will it be the Raptors, who are now competitive? Or will it be the Ticats? It won't be the Blue Jays. We know that. They're years into rebuilding now. And I'm not counting TFC again. 
uh, and I'm not counting the Bulldogs, and I'm not counting the Argos, because Leafs, Raptors, the Leafs, Ticats. The Leafs and Raptors will both win championships this year. You think it's going to be a double? Sure. Have you had a double? <laughs> <laughs> this isn't water, it's vodka. Uh, I, I, I would not. There was a guy, I read a story today, there was a guy who put a $250 bet at one of the Vegas casinos on one of those prop bets that Los Angeles would be held to three points or less. And I think he was the only person who took that bet and he won $100,000. I think your bet- should have. I think your bet would be longer odds than 400 to one that he had. Okay. That, Toronto, that the, both the Raptors and the Leafs would win a championship in the same year after neither one has won it, one ever, and won in 51 years. You think it's, you think it's 400 to one? I think it would be longer than that. I'll bet you, I think, I'll bet you five bucks. I can't afford the 400 to one payout. <laughs> if it grand, ever happened. Two grand. Yeah. I, well, I, you know what? I'm, I don't work for the CBC. <laughs> <laughs> um, you should pay what I do. Yeah. It, which do you think? You th- you, uh, seriously, which one do you think would win first? Tie cats? I think the Raptors got Raptors shot are. Okay. Uh, even over Golden State? Well, clearly it's over everybody. No, but I mean, Golden State yes. is sitting there with five all-stars. Yep. And... I think they got a shot. Because I don't think... That, first of all, it, it's in their melon, but they don't have to worry about LeBron and Cleveland. That's true. Now, the Celtics are going to give them a handful. Maybe. Here we go. And Milwaukee is the mm. big one now, it looks like, is going to cause problems. But yeah, I... I Raptors, I mean, they, look, I, I don't know how they beat Milwaukee the way they've played them the last couple of times, and I certainly don't know how you beat Golden State. Um, I, I'm, of those three, I mean, you would have to say the Ticats because it's the smallest field. You only, there's only nine teams in the CFL. So based purely on numbers and the fact that they've been a competitive team the last few years, they've got a new head coach that the players seem to like, you would have to think that it'll be the Ticats. But here's the other one. I, I, I am not going to be shocked if it was the Leafs, which sounds like I've been dipping into the new legal product. Double. Uh, doubly, yes. <laughs> the new legal product. Because it's been, I mean, in my lifetime, Don, I've not been alive to see a Leafs Stanley Cup win. I've not been alive for the Leafs to win a cup. It makes no sense at this point then to ever even suggest that they will win one. It's like being a Cubs fan. Was, it really is. I was 74 the last time the Leafs won. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Cubs. It's like watching the Chicago Cubs and being a Cubs fan. You get to a point where you say, I must be concussed if I think the day will ever come that this team will win a championship. I would think most Leaf fans, your age and under, and you know they're probably good Leaf fans, real true fans, don't have a second pick. Like it's, you're a Leaf fan and nobody else matters. I think a lot of area Leaf fans have had to kind of adopt the second team yes. so they have a chance. Yes. You know, they're Leaf fans, but... If the Leafs ever do well, they'll jump back on the Leaf or Express. They're, the Leaf fans are number one, but they have to have a second pick just so they can be in the game. So they can watch something in the so spring and care. I, I'm pretty sure Bill Kelly doesn't have a second pick after the Bruins of significance. Bill is so busy in the spring, Bill and other Boston fans. He's got the Red Sox in the yes. playoffs every year. He's got the, uh, and they're just starting their season. He's got the Celtics in the playoff every year and the Bruins who are contenders every year. When does he have time for anything else? 
And it's the same with all the Boston fans. And that's the thing about it. And, and if we are lucky, and here's the thing, whether you are a diehard Leaf fan, Raptors fan, whatever, this year, if one of those two teams, if the Leafs or Raptors don't completely wet the bed, this could be the first time in our lifetime, Don, honestly, that we are sitting here in Southern Ontario with people watching the home teams as competitors, as contenders for a championship, legitimately. Not not, yeah. not the 1979 Leafs where they won and, you know, it was a miracle that they beat the Islanders and not the early 90s ones where it was a miracle that they figured it out at Christmas with, with uh, Pat Burns and got going and Dougie Felix Potvin. Th- those, were, those were shocking things. It was great to jump on the bandwagon and be part of the ride, but where we expect they could be good. Well, if if they win, they're they're not coming. They're not going in as long shots to win. <clears throat> I mean, it's not going to be like the Oilers and the Carolina Hurricanes in the Stanley Cup Finals. There's an expectation that they can compete and and, and win championships. So you're right. They won't. They're not coming out of the blue. They're not going to squeak into eighth place and win a Stanley Cup. They're going to be Vegas have them in pretty good shape. Now the flip side is. We know that the Raptors have got some mental demons in their in their head from playoffs, even though LeBron's not around. And we know the Leafs are probably going to have to play the way things looking are going to have to play Boston first, unless Montreal flips this, but probably have to play Boston first and then Tampa, which are two really tough teams for them. Is it going to hurt more if both teams poop out in the playoffs this year then? For fans around here? Absolutely. Because the expectations are so high. I picked them both to win championships. You did. I'll be surprised if they don't. <laughs> you are quite an optimist, I must say. That's one word. Quite an optimist. Some would call me a fool. You are an optimist. I get that at home a lot. <laughs> we'll take a break back after this. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I didn't see Drake at the football, at the basketball game yesterday. I don't think he was there. I don't think he's been there this year. Not I, much. I, you, you, I was working you there. You clearly yesterday. follow him close. Well, no, I was. I, I was working yesterday, and I was down at the game because Shea Gilgis Alexander, who's a Hamilton kid, first ever Hamiltonian to play in the NBA. I was down there doing something on him, and no sign of Drake that I saw. Anyway, uh, here's a funny one though. I um. I spent a good part of my day today answering emails and phone calls from people calling to tell me what an idiot I was, which is not all that unusual. <laughs> that that part is is quite common. But they were correcting my mistake. And it was one of those days where I actually had to tell these people calling in to call me a fool that in this particular case, I was not a fool because I had person after person after person calling when I, because I had written that Shea Gilgis Alexander was the first Hamiltonian to play in the NBA telling me you're a buffoon, you're just too young to remember Bobby Croft, who was from Hamilton. And I had to point out, and I took no joy in it, that Bobby Croft was a professional basketball player, was drafted by the Boston Celtics, never played a game in the NBA, played in the ABA instead. So I was not wrong. He played as a pro, but never in the NBA. And in his obituary, Steve Milton had written about him when he died in 2014, apparently regretted that decision to go to the ABA instead of the Boston Celtics for much of his life afterwards. So the story went because 
the ABA was a startup league and they paid more, but they wanted him to be a star the moment he arrived and they never developed him properly and he was out of the league in two years. Interesting you talk about pay. That's back in the day with guys like Cookie Gilchrist and stuff like that would come and play in the CFL because they could make more money than, That's right. than the AFL or the NFL. Yep. Yeah. So there's, there's in, well, probably a better story, story I like more, is the fact that Jean Beliveau wouldn't stop playing senior hockey with the Quebec Aces because he wouldn't take a pay cut to play in the NHL for um, the Montreal Canadiens. They eventually figured that out. But yeah, that was, uh, imagine that today. I'm sorry, I won't leave the Hamilton Bulldogs because I don't want to, because I don't want to join the NHL because Well, the equivalent would be not leaving... The Dundas Real McCoys because you don't want to take a pay cut. Yeah, yeah. Well, either one because there's no money in these other leagues, and you. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, let's let's stick with money for a minute. I, I want to go back to the other thing in a minute, but let's stick with money because there we are now in the first week of February. Spring training opens in a week, week and a bit. February thirteenth, fourteenth is when pitchers and catchers report, and a day or two later, the rest of the teams show up. Yeah. So we're a week, about a week and a half, less than a week and a half away from. Training camps opening, spring could've, training could've opening. Could have opened in Toronto today. And the two biggest names, the biggest stars, the most sought after players in free agency this off season, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are still not signed. And we're starting to hear rumblings, whisperings of the C word collusion again, that m- owners are banding together to make sure these guys don't get the money that they want to get because they're both being talked about as $350 million, $300 million contracts. Do you think it's collusion or do you think that baseball owners are simply looking at these players and saying, there's not a player who's worth this amount of money and I'm not paying this much for one of these players and they're holding out for that kind of money because their agents have told them they're getting this and so we're in a stalemate. So I think... Uh, there's a couple things. I think fans um, of teams that want those guys and think they have a shot, I think the fans talk about it as collusion, and certainly players' associations will be doing that while they're having a beer. But the problem is the, the players' association guys are out having a beer, and the owners are having a scotch and a cigar. Um, but I, I don't, wouldn't call it collusion. I would say it's probably good business. See, that's where I'm... They're running a business. That's where I'm looking now, is that this is not a case <clears throat> where you're wanting to pay a guy $15 million, which, by the way, is an, a crazy amount of money when you think about it, $15 million a year. I, I understand that's a crazy amount of money, yeah. but if you are in the relative world of professional sports and baseball, that's, that's you know, but 30 to $35 million a year. Think how many tickets you have to sell. Well, I think Scott, that's just to pay that one guy. I think that's probably the realization that baseball or ownership is coming to because it is, um, one of the sports that is certainly an attendance driven league when it comes, pardon me, when it comes to revenue, um, you know, they play 81 home games. And they count on that revenue. And and we all know that. We, we all know they charge too much for a beer and a hot dog and, and or at least a lot more than you could. You'd have to pay at Easterbrook's for a <laughs> not as good a hot dog. But I think now what they're doing is taking a look at if we have a salary like that, how high can we put our ticket prices? Because the stadiums are huge and there's 81 home games. And 
are we going to price ourselves out of business if we let this carry on? And you can do that if you're in New York. Because, you know, uh, Raptors tickets, courtside, we talked off air before, they might be a thousand bucks a piece. Easy. And there's 40 games. Okay, so you got a pair of 80 grand. And there's probably only a hundred of them available, maybe. Maybe a hundred yep. of them. Not even that. I would say there's probably 50 of them available. But in baseball, if you want the prime seats, and you're going to start looking at having an average ticket price to support these salaries of $85 to $100 a ticket, and there's a lot of prime seats in a baseball stadium, how many season tickets are you going to sell? Like Corporations are going to look at it and go, whoa, wait a minute. wait." Well, consider this. I just did the – I got out the old trusty calculator because I can't do this in my head. If you were going to pay a guy $35 million a year, which is the number that has been thrown around that Bryce Harper is thinking he's going to get – over 10 years, minimum. What did he turn down? Washington, what He turned down $300 million over 10. So he's turned down already. $30 million. $30 million a year. Yeah. If you were going to pay him $35 million a year, you would have to sell, just to pay his salary, $700,050 seats on average. So if you if your average ticket price was 50 bucks, you would have to sell 700,000 tickets. Over, over 10 years? No, no. No, no, that's per year. What? Fifty just to pay his salary, thirty-five million dollars. Yeah, right. You would have to have seven hundred thousand tickets at fifty dollars a pop. Yeah, just to pay that thirty-five million. So, so you the eighty Jays, home games. My math is the Jays great. drew about two and a half million last so year. So you have to hang on. You have to draw about um, eighty-five hundred people per game more. At fifty bucks a head, eighty six hundred and forty two people in addition to what you've got. Yep. So round it off, nine thousand people that you have to bring in extra. The Jays, I think it was about two and a half million they drew last year, which means that about a third of the tickets that you would the the money again if the tickets were fifty bucks a pop on average. A third of the tickets would have just paid for Bryce Harper's contract. That's not even counting the rest of your players, and presumably you're going to have one or two other guys making well, you good money. Well, the, how good is he? Because you wouldn't be able to afford as many players. You'd probably have to only play with six in the field. You have to play like Eddie Fainer did. Yeah, it's that, and he'd that's, have to play the entire outfield himself. And that's the that's the amazing thing about this is these two guys are very good players. There's no question about it. But they are not the very best players in the game. They are the very best free agents right now, and they're young, so you've got them for years when you sign them as a free agent. But if you're going to sign these two guys, like Mike Trout, who really is the best player in the league, he plays in L.A. with the Angels. A lot of people don't even get to see him very much because we don't stay up to watch games that time of night. Good Canadian kid too, right? Nope, not Mike Trout. I thought he was a Canadian. No, he's from New Jersey originally. That's part of Canada. Uh, But Mike Trout, when he becomes a free agent... He is considerably better than either of these guys. So if they're going to get thirty-five million, well, he's going to get forty million, and then you know there's going to be a guy coming along in two years who's going to have numbers that are better than Trump. So while I don't believe in conspiracy that or uh, um, collusion, I do believe that owners are finally starting to look at this and say, "I'll pay a two hundred million dollar salary budget for the whole fran- for the whole team for the whole roster." But I'm not putting 35 million into one guy. No, you got to see their general manager. You can have him, but here's your budget, and so, you got to win. And he's not. If we're not winning, he's not putting 8,500 people in. I forget the numbers, but they were not significant at all 
when Roger Clemens no. was on the mound in his two Cy Young seasons in uh, Toronto as a Blue Jay, he the, the bump in attendance was negligible um, compared to needing 8,500. He certainly wasn't bringing in 8,500 people a night. Now, he only played every five days, but he wasn't even doing it every five days. This cat's got to do it every day mm-hmm. to break even. So, as I say so often, and and I, I believe this, that if you're ever cons- if you're ever wondering why, go back to it's about the money. And in this case, it's about the money. Does there need to be collusion? No. The guys are trying to run a business. And what they're starting to realize is if we do this one and then we do another one, can we get $100? Can our average ticket price for Major League Baseball be $100 a ticket? And I doubt it. And you can you can knock some of that off because you can say, well, we've got TV ratings, and if we have him, then ratings may go up, and we may have higher revenue from ads, and we can sell jerseys, and we can have, and that's fine. So let's say instead of eighty five hundred, let's say you get it down even to four thousand. It won't go. It won't go there, but I understand. What but you're we've saying. even got a four or five thousand now. We have to do. But even if you want to do that, but that, even that is a lot. Of, now you've got him, and you've got every other player. So you're going to have a couple other star players in the team. At a certain point, as I say, I'm not, I'm not, until I see otherwise, I'm not buying collusion. I'm buying a, a dose of common sense, common sense finally. Yeah. Well, it, finally. When the, when the Bow Sox and the Yankees aren't in the conversation, you know, it's too much money. Well, when Mike Trout becomes a free agent, if he does, and if the Angels don't sign him preemptively before he becomes a free agent, you will see the Bow Sox and the Yankees both in the conversation. And I would guarantee you the money they're going to talk about is going to be beyond comprehension. Yeah, but what that tells me is they aren't just going to give it to anybody anymore. Like, I think the Leafs used to be guilty of this. They would pay a player like Dion Phaneuf the same money as Chris Pronger. Because I think their approach was if we pay him the same amount of money, he'll be just as good. And some teams get trapped in, into that thinking, well, we've got a $7 million defenseman. No, you've got a player you're paying $7 million as a defenseman that should be making $4.1 million. He doesn't get any better. His shot doesn't get any harder. And he doesn't block any more shots. So if Trout's the guy and he has arguably been that guy for two or three years, then he's earned it. But it's a stretch to think that they want to do that with these two guys. And then you're right. Then what's Trout get? Then what does the next kid get? And then I'll go back to can you get an average ticket price in Major League Baseball? Of $100 a ticket. And what happens? Because that's what it's going to go to. What happens if there's ever a huge recession with all these contracts that they are locked into now? I mean, that's that's a different discussion for another day. Uh, we got to go to break, but here's something to ponder. Do you know how much the Blue Jays paid to buy the franchise back in 1976, what the expansion fee was for the Blue Jays franchise? $27 million. $7 million. Seven? I knew it was $7. Seven million. In other words, if Bryce Harper <laughs> signs for $35 million, he could have bought with one month's work he could have bought what the Blue Jays cost as a franchise back then. Now I know it's different times and all the rest, but it's just it's it's just incredible where the money has gone with this. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. 
Don, I was going to, we sort of jumped all over the place today, but uh, this goes back to the Super Bowl yesterday. There was no offense in that game to speak of. It was all the defenses that were doing all the work. And then when the game ends and they give out the game MVP award, somehow it goes to a receiver. And I know he had an okay game, but why is it so, almost never in, I mean, sometimes in the Stanley Cup finals with the Conn Smythe trophy, you see a goalie get it, but you almost never see a defenseman win it. You almost, you never see a defensive stopper in basketball win the championship MVP award. You never see a defensive, a guy who bats 120, but it plays incredible defense in baseball win the World Series MVP. And you certainly don't see it in football. Why is it so hard to give a MVP? Why do people struggle to give an award to a defensive player? Because it's not exciting. Can be. Baseball players who are diving around and making all kinds of plays, that can be really exciting. Guys block. Not exciting enough then. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I. It happens in every league. It, oh, like, it does. You're right. I mean, there, there have been, I'm sure, over the 53 Super Bowls, an offensive guard or an offensive tackle or defensive. Uh, well, there's never tackle. been a lineman who's won on either side no, of the ball. I, but my point is that the quarterbacks after the game will say, if Radley doesn't do his job as well as he does tonight, we don't win. Ask Larry Zonka. He popped out for three touchdowns. Only one reason, that Radley kid. Without mm-hmm. him, we don't win the Super Bowl. You might hear a quarterback talk like that over a beer after the game, but it's not sexy. It's not fun. But yesterday, you could have very easily, the, the d- defensive back. That was the chance. Uh, uh, um, whatever his name was, who made the interception for New Orleans, or for New England right near the end. He could have very easily been your guy. Hightower could have been a guy that you could have given. You This was the time where you could have looked. I, I just look and I think, are are the people who make these awards or vote on these awards so dumb that they only can look at the numbers as opposed to the impact on the game? And you can, and the thing, and the reason for that is a goalie in hockey, there have been Conn Smythe trophies who are goalies, yeah. but you can look at numbers. You can say, oh, his save percentage was 955 and he had a 1.24 goals against average, but take away those numbers there's probably never a goalie that wins the thing. No. It's, no, but it's not. Uh, it, We're so stats crazy that if you can't have a stat to when, back up your impact, we don't, we don't pay attention. Well, when you look at uh, the three stars of the game uh, in the National Hockey League, let's use that because it's probably more hockey fans than there's anything else listening. Guys can have great games, and Radley scores the game winner in overtime, and he's the first star. That's right. Yeah, well, now, that always drives me nuts when it's a shootout was, guy. Yeah, so he was. Uh, uh, he played pretty well tonight. He was minus two, right on the fourth line. Happened to g- score the winning goal, and he's the uh, first star of the game. Well, he played like crap. Well, I can tell you why that happens, and I don't. I'm probably telling tales out of school that are supposed to be hidden behind the curtain, like the Wizard of Oz. But more often than not, they're not really sure who's going to score it, so they send down the three stars. And they've given the second and third star, and the first star is whoever scores the winning goal. And if the second or third star scores the winning goal, here's the alternate. That's how it's done. So that's why, because it's convenience, because you have to have someone down there have a heads up about who to grab coming off the ice. So you're telling me there's no credibility. Well, there's credibility, I suppose, but it's it's, it's credibility with an asterisk. Because you're right. It could be someone who's done absolutely nothing in the game and then... 
All right, gonna well, give if you you're the- going to put an asterisk beside the credibility, it's not very credible. Okay. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.